0: They don't care about your 900 years of combined experience or your wall of books. They only wanna know one thing. Once they've signed on the dotted line, are you going to take care of them? Welcome to the Judge Shaw way, where we believe providing an exceptional client experience is just as important as quality legal representation. From secret tips for creating unforgettable wow moments to proven customer service pointers, the Judge Shaw way is everything you need to go from being a good lawyer to owning a great brand.
1: Hi, everyone. I'm Judge Shaw. Welcome to the show. Today's guest, Steve Moss from Executive Springboard. Steve, welcome to the show. Judge, a pleasure being with you today. Thanks for coming on. Appreciate that. Sure. Steve, before we get into Executive Springboard and your story, I note that really the company's primary service is mentoring. And I also understand, aside from your children, you have a a new grandchild. Is that correct?
2: (laughs) That's right. Congratulations. Thank you. He's all of about seven months old now. And tell me the
1: difference between mentoring your children and mentoring your grandchild.
2: Well, they're certainly at a different life stage right now, right? So in one, I'm waiting for some measure of appreciation, and then the other, a (laughs) smile just melts me, right?
1: (laughs) You know, I lived with my grandfather, true story, in in college and in law school, and um, I cut out an article Back then, it was one of these um, just say no, you know, ads that were running about uh, drug free, right? Right. And there was a, a picture of a grandfather sitting with his grandson on a park bench. And it was a message in the New York Times to grandparents, speak to your grandchildren about this subject because grandparents have a certain mentoring, coaching power over parents, which is somehow it doesn't seem like a lecture. It doesn't seem like the advice is differently. And it says grandparents have a power over parents. Their message is heard differently as a grandchild than a child.
2: And I think that happens in mentoring, you know, having a mentor versus a boss. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to necessarily assume that parents are children's bosses. I think a lot of children would disagree with that. But that little bit of a of a gap, a little bit of of distance um, makes a big difference. I guess I just came off of three consecutive days of babysitting while my daughter was away. So I do know how tiring mentoring can be, particularly with a seven month old.
1: Yeah, there's a a great guy named Lee Cockrell who was uh, yes. uh, ran operations at Disney. and he says that he he'll mention treat your team like your children. That message does come across. So let's talk about, um, before we get to Executive Springboard, I mean, you have a, a, a really interesting background of all the nefarious companies that you had worked for before <laughs> you before you did good stuff. T- tell us a little about, how, how did you get to Executive Springboard? What's the history there?
2: Well, yeah, nefarious for sure. So my career as, in corporate life uh, was primarily as a marketing executive in global companies. And that included time in tobacco and liquor and fatty products like Haagen-Dazs ice cream. So as a marketer, I kind of feel like you now you can, you can measure success by how many hundreds of millions of dollars of extra revenue you may have generated. But at one point in my career, I, I looked back and said, as a successful marketer, I may have been responsible for a few hundred deaths because of cancer or cirrhosis or, or heart disease. And it gives you pause, right? It, it makes you think about, can you do something different in your life? And um, I did some things like um, green technology, but the other thing that kind of got me as, as a marketer, I had kind of two passions in my, in my career. One was building brands and the other was helping to build people's careers. I sufficiently scratched the first itch with brand building through, through my corporate career. And with Executive Springboard, it's, it's become much more of a chance for me to do the other, to, to help people at various stages with their, in their career, help them, you know give them the tools they need to succeed and in fact, excel, particularly in new roles. That's Executive Springboard. Mm-hmm. Tell us about it. So about five years ago, still licking the wounds of my last corporate gig, I started thinking about um, why things didn't go as well as, as I had hoped. In, in that role, I was the chief marketing officer for a $2 billion company. And I was at kind of the forefront of a significant transformation that they were making, really from like thinking of themselves as a manufacturer to much more of a marketing-driven business. I lasted about 19 months. And I gave a lot of thought after the fact on why things didn't go any better than they had. I started doing a lot of research on the rates of failures for executives in senior roles. 50% of executive external hires for executives fail in the first 18 months. And it costs companies a boatload of money when things don't go well. Mm -hmm. So there was a pain point that I hadn't uncovered that I wanted to think about addressing. And as I did more research on why people fail in new roles, not even just those who are hired from the outside, but people who are promoted, people who are reassigned, people who get into a, a position after a, a merger and they're, they're being integrated in place, very seldom does it come to the, the point that somebody has failed because they're functionally not competent to do the job. The process to get them there, the vetting process, kind of will make sure that somebody does have the requisite skills to do their job correctly. But it's always the people issues that bite them in the tail. And people might start making mistakes on how they deal with with certain topics, and it leads to a cascade of failures. And I wanted to do something about that. And that was kind of the impetus behind what became Executive Springboard. There's a difference between
1: a mentor and a coach in my experience and also some of the research that I've done looking into that more, right? So for instance, my grandfather was a great mentor. My first boss who I worked for for nearly a decade was a great mentor. I always say that I learned so much from him when I started my own company. So much of the DNA of my own company had his DNA in it. I I brought over a lawyer who was working with me at that other company, and he came over to start the new company with me. And you could tell that there were things about that other company that we just simply replicated. And that became the mentoring. The coaching I've had with their consultants or people who either have coached me or coach generally sometimes are, it's like a therapist when you go there and you talk about the problem that's happening that week. And you feel better, certainly, about it going out of it, but it doesn't necessarily help you confront the next problem or be mm. in ahead of it, right? What are your thoughts about the difference between that, that mentoring and
2: coaching? Well, certainly, when I started Executive Springboard, a thought had occurred to me that this would be a platform for me to hang up a coaching shingle, and that's what I would do. And I decided to take a mentoring approach instead. and. I'd have to say, Judd, that there's a lot of overlap. If you do a Venn diagram between coaching and mentoring, there will be an awful lot of overlap. Many times, there is more difference between a mentor and a coach than there is between mentoring and coaching. Mm. So about 80% of executive coaches come from a psychology background or an HR background. They've developed terrific active listening skills. They ask great questions. What I find with mentors are that they're, they generally, instead of coming from a particular field of study or, the, or an HR profession, mentors are more likely to have sat in somebody's chair, whether it's in their company, whether it's in their function, et cetera. So there's a been there, done that factor. And you see that in, in really their ability to pass the wis- their wisdom on to a new generation. That's what a grandfather would have done that's what your early boss may have done and it's very often not always but very often an intergenerational thing and it comes from a credibility from shared experience that lots of times coaches don't have i think there's also something else that happens it's unfortunate in coaching i have an awful lot of respect for coaching if you were my boss and you said to me steve i want to give you an executive coach Sometimes there's a thought bubble that would come up. Gee, I wonder what I did wrong. Right. There's a kind of a remedial component to coaching, which is unfortunate. I think they're, they're being tarred with a brush that's not necessarily fair, but that's how things are. And um, as opposed to mentoring, which seems to be more of a clean slate. So it's easier for somebody to recognize that if somebody's being given a mentor, it's really there they're being tools to get to be more effective in in their job, in their career, in their life.
1: I do think that there is a, a large overlap with the objectives and goals of either a coach or mentor, right? Mm-hmm. And the other real question I have for you is, is when do you bring in a mentor, right? When is somebody's career where a company says, we're going to financially back it, we're going to create the time, um, the bandwidth for it, because we feel it's important that you have a mentor. And, um... You know, I mean, there's onboarding, there's, you know, past your 90-day your or your probationary period, you have reached manager title, you have reached the executive board.
2: What's the right time to provide mentorship? It would be easy for me to say any time would be the right time. But I think there's a, a few different ways that mentoring comes into play that's, that's worth talking about. In many companies, particularly larger companies... They may put in place their own internal mentoring program where a young person starting their career or maybe somebody who's a manager or even a senior manager, maybe even as far as a director, will have somebody in the company, probably outside of their line of command, who can play a role of mentor to them. And that experience within that, that organization is something that, that is very helpful for that person's career. It's a big boost on retention. It's a big piece in trying to get people promoted. People who are mentored basically have a five times greater shot of being promoted than somebody who isn't. So that happens all within the context of an organization that puts in place its own internal mentoring program. What we've found is that there is a, a group of employees particularly at senior levels, who still have, there's still a demand for what mentoring provides. There's still that need. There just isn't the supply. And what ends up happening is there's, there isn't somebody in the organization who is a logical source to mentor somebody who's in the C-suite, for instance. Right? Mm-hmm. People won't make themselves vulnerable with somebody who might be in a position to use that information against them. And so it's, it's one thing to, to find a mentor who's a couple of levels above you in an organization. When you get to a point where there aren't people above you in an organization? May, you know, the options might be, well, you can have the CEO mentor you. That might be uncomfortable. You could have board members mentor you. That often doesn't get the transparency that you try to get. So in trying to find something to, to address the need to make yourself vulnerable, it's normally somebody outside the organization. And it might be an executive coach, it might be a mentor. We found that there's lots of calls for what we do, particularly when somebody has transitioned into a new role, as you mentioned, onboarding. And that's a big part of what we do, because it's often really pretty clear that um, somebody needs the help and there isn't anything negative associated with it. You're in this new role. We want to try to give you all the tools you need to be successful in it. Part of that may be giving you this wise person who's, who's been through this, these wars themselves and can share their scars with you.
1: I use the example with my chief operating officer. At a time, she had run you know management positions in nearly every department. She understood every role. Right. She knew how to do the job and she was tapped to be chief of staff for the company. I worked with her every almost every Friday. I dedicated, you know, an hour or two and I would give her my executive really was coaching, right? The well, how would you deal with that? And how would you deal with that? And she understood core values and our mission and our purpose. And so she had all the criteria for it. But now that I look at I'm talking to you and I and and some research I think that mentoring would have been the perfect time for that for her because at some point when then she became chief operating officer, I actually remember the conversation when I said to her, I'm tapped out. I don't think there's anything else I can teach you. And I went to look for like a consultant. Maybe she'd, she should join the chief of staff, national chief of staffs or whatever, or, or you know maybe go to this thing. And I, w- I was trying to reach for grasp for places for her to be able to continue to learn and grow. Because I no longer, other than just dealing with a situation, I no longer was increasing her professional development. In fact, I was probably going to get in the way because it would be more me. It would be more, you know, dealing with these things on a very small basis, right? And also, as you pointed out, I'm not going to be told everything. She's not going to let me know everything because there's still one person higher than her on that rank, and that's me. And I think that that's probably the place for it.
2: That's a great insight, and um, I think that that ties into what you said earlier about the difference between parents and grandparents to some degree as well and and, and who yes. plays, who can play that that role as a mentor. Another thing that I think of, there are various resources that somebody can use to try to develop themselves further, and it might be a mentor, it might be a coach, it might be a peer circle, it might be all three i I, I like to think of people finding their creating their own personal board of directors. And each each of those board members, if you will, may be playing a different role for for some eyes development. And we're always, all of us, are continual works in progress. Yeah. What we find that's really kind of um interesting and and sometimes um lots of times it will get in the way of of success is when people resist admitting that they're still learning. You know, somebody, somebody who's been a, a COO three times before and they come into a new organization, it's like, I got it. I, I know how to do this, right? But it's a new organization. It's a new culture. It may be a new industry. It's certainly new people you have to work with. And all of those dynamics can give people fits if they're, if they're not reflecting on it. And lots of times they need somebody to help them think through those issues. You're never too old to stop learning. Absolutely.
1: Is mentoring always one-on-one with Executive Springboard? Is it in
2: group? How does it work? For us, it's one-on-one. Let me use this as, a, as an opportunity to talk just to a little bit about the criteria that I use in in bringing in mentors to our organization. Sure. We have about a hundred mentors, most of them in the United States and Canada, but we have people in about a dozen countries around the world. and. I've vetted all of those. I've recruited all of those people into Executive Springboard. And there are a few things that, that I look for when I'm somebody in. First thing is their resume. Does their resume say to a potential mentee, ah, I see how I can learn from this person? That may be a low bar, but I've got to at least get that down. The second area is going to be about active listening skills, because that's what executive coaches are great at. And I don't want to get clobbered in comparison in an area where we're doing something that is a similar function. The third thing is recognizing that this is not about me. It's about the other person. And so there's got to be a generosity that comes from this whole activity. And um, what we find is lots of times, yes, people will learn from the experiences that I've had. And if I've had a success in something it's great for me to be able to share that with somebody, but people will learn a whole lot more from my failures than from my successes. And being in a position where I can talk about those and make myself vulnerable and open up about the things that didn't necessarily work so well so somebody else's learning will be a little bit less painful, that's a pretty important thing. And also in that process, that that step of me making myself vulnerable makes it easier for that to be reciprocated. And and that's when the magic happens. When people can open themselves up to sharing what's what they're concerned about, what they fear, what they're they're unsure about. That's when that's when they can they can find themselves open to new possibilities.
1: I always said I wish I had a mentor early on. I couldn't afford one, but I wish I did because I would have my growth came from mistakes i i learned from the mistakes not what i did right and uh you know that was great training but i still would have liked to make less of mistakes
2: yeah well yeah it hurts a little bit it's it's valuable for sure but it hurts while it's going on for sure
1: sounds like a great quality for a mentor is servant leadership
2: yeah absolutely and um i'd say that that's something that we all realize how important servant leadership is Not just for the mentor, but if if there are lessons that we try to portray, lessons that we try to communicate to the people that we're working with, that would certainly be one of them. If you think about it, somebody who comes into a new role, perhaps they're coming in from outside the the company, we'll use that as an example, very few are ever told, we want you to do exactly what your predecessor did, right? It's almost always explicit that you have an agenda for change, right? Okay. So you come in with this change agenda. You don't know how anything works in that company. Your ability to get things done is really completely in the hands of other people. And so where I see a lot of people making mistakes is buying into the notion of the first 90 days and that there's something magic about you know, what happens in three months. And if you don't get a lot of stuff done by then, you're in trouble. The first three months and then some should really be spent in large part building the relationships that are going to be necessary for the alignment to come that, that follows. If you start getting people to feel confident in you, if they, if they see your competence, if they understand how they can make that they're in agreement with you, then all of a sudden, the change that you want to make becomes a whole lot easier, and that becomes a big piece of servant leadership. I mean, working with humility is, mm. is a critical part of that. Part of that is being able to admit, yeah, I don't know everything yet. Part of it is, I find, early on, having somebody who goes through a listening tour and learns what people in the organization think is important and what they want to do, et cetera, is critical going forward. Then, when you are about to announce the changes that you want to put forward, it's been done with the knowledge of how people in the organization are viewing things. They feel invested. Right. If you do something that somebody has suggested, they feel like that's their idea. So, the easiest way to get people to be aligned with you is for them to feel like it was their idea, right? 100% for buy in. Yeah. And even if you don't take their suggestions, but you can explain to them why you didn't they feel heard and uh, maybe not quite as strong as them feeling like that's it's their own suggestion but it's it's much easier for them to buy in. Tell us
1: how does it work in terms of moving forward so somebody wants to lean on executive springboard they have somebody a mentee that they would like their company to mentor how do you pair it how do you you know match it up and, and for instance in a legal industry which I'm in and have somebody, a non-lawyer, it's, it's more managerial. Mm -hmm. How do you do that? And and what's the cost? Can you talk about that?
2: Yeah. So what I'll try to do is take advantage of shared experience. So my first cut will often be, and that's just is a big part of my job is playing the matchmaker. So I'm looking among those hundred plus mentors for who might be a good fit with, with this individual. Is this, your CFO. Okay. If it's, if it's the CFO, I may have eight people within executive springboard who are or have been CFOs in the past. And now I'll go a step deeper. Has anybody been in a similar industry? Has somebody is, is the ownership in some way, similar this a private equity company or a publicly traded company or what have you? Did they come into a turnaround situation? Did they get promoted into that position or or did they come in from the outside? And I'll try to do as, as good a job as I can in coming up with a few candidates for somebody's consideration on um, does this, does this person have experience that will be relevant for the situation that this mentee will be facing? And then the mentee and the prospective mentor will have a conversation normally a half hour conversation or so to see if there's a chemistry there. If the mentee says, I can't learn from this person, then there's no point in doing it. If if the mentor says, I can't say this has ever happened, but it's it would, it's possible that this person is a, a knucklehead. There's nothing that I can do to really help help them. I don't think we have the chemistry, then we'll talk to we'll go to somebody else within that or with within our organization to find somebody who will be a good fit. I mentioned that the work that we do is, is normally not based on the first 90 days. Michael Watkins' book, The First 90 Days, is, is something, it's, mm-hmm. it's part of the canon that executive springboard mentors are quite f- uh, familiar with. But at the same time, we recognize that this whole process of onboarding even is not a sprint. It's not done in, in 90 days. It's probably not done in 180 days. Our sessions tend to be eight months long. And we'll work with the executive with pre-work before each session, and um, we'll have two sessions per month. So there's 16 sessions that an executive has with, with their mentor. Along with the, the work that they'll be doing in, in Zoom calls will be, and the pre-work that they'll have, we'll conduct a couple of assessments that we'll share with them. We'll conduct stakeholder interviews as well, so that the executive gets an idea of what are expectations from other people in the organization about where they're about their development, mm-hmm. and then we'll gauge their progress along along the path in that. And that's information that's shared with the executive and with the mentors. And the mentor can make course corrections along the way. Depending on the level in our of the the people that we're dealing with, whether somebody is like a, a director or assistant vice president up to a CEO. The range in price is between $12,000 and $18,000 for the the eight-month engagement.
1: Got it. And uh, you owned your past corporate accountability, and I have to own mine, which is, you're right. I I think that somehow we have a 90-day period and we run on the medieval theme. So you you start with us as a squire and you get to 90 days and you <laughs> become a knight, right? And the idea of training. And then somehow at 90 days, magically, they can go and fight any crusade and battle on their own. And, you know, quite frankly, even hearing you, it's just not true. In fact, that's where they finally show a ability to understand core values and the purpose of the job and basic requirements and processes and systems, the real growth happens after that time when they can stop focusing on just how to log in and now really how to, how to meet the company's purpose.
2: When we started, we set our engagement at 12 months and we offered clients an opt-out after six months. And nobody opted out but what we were finding was by about month 11, the mentor and the mentee were looking at each other like, don't we have this all figured out by now? You know, there there comes a time when an executive no longer feels new in their position. Mm. And, you know, a lot of what we want to try to do is get somebody to the point that they feel like they belong. They're seen as fitting into the organization. They've created the relationships that are going to put them in good stead for the long haul. And it's not about the short-term wins. There's something that besides the length of time in the first 90 days that I have kind of a, a reaction against, it's the notion of quick wins. Yes, we all have to try to get some quick wins. They're never strategic. Right. They're always basically about making your competence personal enough for the other person to buy yourself a little bit more time to keep learning. Right. And so we kind of found that It takes at least six months for almost all of the uglies to bubble up to the surface and for somebody, even the most self-aware, most socially aware people to figure out where some of the problems might be. So for that reason, we really feel like people are hitting their stride after about an eight-month period.
1: And what a cool 360 approach by a mentor getting some feedback from people that the mentee is either supervising, managing, working closely with, and having that discussion, which is really a, a whole nother set of um, learning possibilities.
2: It is, and I'll, I'll, I'll clarify something on that. It's a little bit of telephone tag that we will play on this because I personally will conduct those stakeholder interviews with the people in the organization, and I'll pass that learning on to the mentor. And the reason we do it is, that way is it's really important to me that the mentor has no relationship with anybody in the organization except for the mentee. That's how we create a confidential relationship. If the mentee has no worry that anything that happens in their, in their time with, the, with their mentor is going back to the company. So my role is to play kind of that, that intermediary getting the feedback from the from the company sharing it with the mentor who then is using it in their discussions with the mentee what i would say on that is additionally and that's something that over you know when we particularly when we got started it's become less of an issue maybe as i've become more comfortable with things but i've had a lot of potential clients who said wait a second so you're not going to tell me the progress that's happening there and they're used to that from executive coaches but what we say is really important is we'd like to keep this las vegas rules within the mentor relationship right what what goes on in that place stays in that place well i mean if there's the mentor thinks there's something really untoward going on they may raise their hand but i can't think of any case where that happens we'll we'll have that conversation with the with the executive early on but what we'll do over the course of an eight month engagement has had three one person survey monkey surveys where the, the mentee is reporting what they're getting out of this. So there's something for the mentor, the, for the company to feel like they understand the return on investment from the mentee's point of view.
1: So at, at uh, my company, we have uh, JSU, which stands for Judshaw Shaw university. Mm-hmm. And um, that's because at certain point um, our method is called the Judge Shaw way. And that is, In order for me to teach another team member how I make a client call or how I would do this or how I would do that allows the company to scale. I can take on more and somebody knows how I was doing it, which was the way we wanted the company to do things. And um, and a lot of that is guided by our four core values, right? Which serve as our beacon in our sort of our code of conduct, right? We always tell our team members our nights. That if you want to, uh, if you're given a choice or A and B, use your core values first, right? Are you a B? Would you, if you went to A, is that a B a knight in shining armor or, or B is working the wow, right? And using those core values. How does the company turn over to Executive Springboard the comfort that this mentor, right, is giving guidance to someone who's obviously critically important to the company generally and know that that guidance? Is also not only to the benefit of the mentee, but also serves the purpose of, of of the company's mission and and probably why they're even signing on for a mentor to begin with.
2: It's a really good question. One of the things that we'll that we'll talk to companies about is um, what are kind of the limits on where the discussions go between the mentor and the mentee. And again, without without us talking about what's happening in the sessions because that that we want to keep off limits to the to the company mm-hmm. but one of the things that that we make clear to the client and it, is that um, our own values include recognizing our success is only is based on the success of the mentees in their roles and where that can come into play is, we being rather explicit with the, um, with the company about the limits of what we do. So if a mentor is working with, their, with an executive in a company and that executive says, you know what, I've been here six months. This is a clown show. This is dysfunctional. I hate my boss. I got to get out of here. The mentor, as, as close as a relationship as they've been building, the mentor recognizes that that's a wall they don't pass. And they say, look, I'm here to make you successful in this job. I'm not here to give you guidance on how you get out or to help you with any of that. I mean, that's that's a bridge too far for us. Mm. My role here is, you know, remember who's paying for this. This is about to make, make you successful there. That makes it win-win. It's good for you. It's good for the company. Right. So the company kind of realizes that we have that in their best interest as well. A lot of them will also recognize that the confidentiality that we're trying to build, which does put a, a wall between the CEO or the head of HR and whomever, and that and what happens in our in our groups, that's really being done to encourage vulnerability in that relationship between the mentor and the mentee, and we hope to be able to get to what's on their minds, their hopes, their fears, et cetera, and. That'll be something that comes out in the discussions I have with the stakeholders is what are they seeing? Are they seeing progress? Are, they, are, they, are the things that they felt were important early on, are they seeing this executive make progress towards that? If not, we have a conversation. If there are other things that are coming up, there are other issues that are coming up, we get to that. The first time that I'm talking with the stakeholders within an organization I'm also asking a set of questions about their culture. And it's not necessarily all about their values. I'm defining culture as the way we do things here. Right. So what are, what are some of the processes, what are the norms that the organization has? I'll ask them about values, but I'll, I'll put it in, in terms of lots of times you may have values on a plaque in the wall, and there's another set of behaviors that you really value so you can talk about teamwork and accountability and the things that are very common to see in in corporate value statements and what you really value is when you have to start making cuts who is it who doesn't um who doesn't blink an eye about getting rid of people in their organization well that's something that's kind of important to know about right. how things really work in that in that company so we have you know kind of a lightning round of questions that we'll ask to try to get a sense of, of the culture. We'll share that with the, with the mentor. So they've got a, 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 a way of looking at that. And it's also things that we're getting kind of confirmed through the assessment tools that, that we use with, the, with these executives.
1: I think that's uh, so well said, Steve. When you think about that, you're never too old to learn, right? And that continuous growth, it really plays a part here I think that we can all use uh really good grandparents in our lives <laughs> and They can be a good influence. Right. And so can mentors. And I, I think that uh, mentorship at the right time and right place can really just be such a powerful tool. Um, how does somebody get in touch with you, Steve?
2: If somebody wants to reach out to me, they can email me info at, execspringboard.com, E-X-E-C springboard.com. Steve, I greatly
1: appreciate you coming on the show. I realize now that I have to look well within my own organization for those that uh, probably can use somebody at this point more than me being their parent, but somebody taking on the uh, role of a grandparent. That's really what this is about, right? It is. It is really just they're there for that mentee. They're there for the mentee's growth, and I think it can be very powerful and it can really work well.
2: And we find that even the, a mentor who comes in with experience that says that brings credibility, we have to continue to prove our worth to those mentors and to the companies that employ them, and, and that becomes a continuous thing for us. So, um, hey, Judd, I'd, I'd love to have the chance to talk to you again about, about the people in your organization who might need some mentoring.
1: I, I would too, be, you know, and, and, and going back to the culture thing, I heard it once said that, uh, everybody has a culture. If you think you don't, you know, have a culture, you do, uh, you can either be intentional about it or not intentional about it, but there is a culture and that culture is really that set of behaviors. Yes. And when a company can be real about that, as compared to some writing on the wall, that's going to be the powerful starting point for any mentor or mentee relationship.
2: And for very few people in an organization will have a lot of opportunity to change the culture. So a lot of it is really about how are they going to adapt to the culture that they find. Maybe if you're the CEO, that becomes a different conversation. But in many instances, even people in C-suite positions, they have to figure out you know, the rhythm of that organization and how they dance to it.
1: Steve, enjoy that grandson, man. Congratulations again. Thanks and you're so doing much. some really great work. Thanks for coming on.
2: My pleasure. Great to talk with you.
1: Thanks, everybody. And if you need to reach out to me, you can always do that at judd at And be sure to um, email me and make a request for some swag, and we'll send you some cool company swag. Thanks for coming on.
0: Are you ready to take the next step to creating an unforgettable brand? Subscribe to the Judge Shaw way in your favorite podcast app and join the conversation on social media at Judge Shaw Injury Law. Have topic suggestions or questions? Email us at podcast at judshawinjurylaw.com and be sure to include an address where we can send you some cool swag. Attorney Advertising Materials. This podcast is designed for general information purposes only. Nothing on this podcast should be taken as legal advice for an individual case or situation. This information is not intended to create and viewing does not constitute an attorney-client relationship. No aspect of this advertisement has been approved by the Supreme Court. Any results set forth herein are based upon the facts of that particular case and do not represent a promise or guarantee. Those with legal questions should seek the advice of an attorney.